opportunity. Thank you for blessing us, opening our ears, opening our hearts, opening our minds and causing our spirits to want to cry out to you on behalf of those who just don't have an opportunity that like we do. So we thank you, Lord. Take these seeds of intercession that we pray multiply them and increase them raise up many more intercessors father raise up uh, help for the people that we're praying for and we thank you lord in jesus name amen and praise god <clears throat> amen well we uh have uh june's um uh, bulletin and we also have that one from july the one from july really is a photo issue and it shows uh christians who have just had their um, churches burned. Uh, this uh, this one, it looks like it's from the Central African Republic uh, between South Sudan and the Congo. And so uh, it, it just really, in pictures, shows the destruction that has been coming upon believers in, in this area of the world. Um, and uh, the... Um, the uh, story here says the impoverished Central African Republic, C.A.R., more than one million of the country's five million residents have been forced from their homes by ongoing conflicts and the cruelty of their countrymen. Two of my missionary friends, Ron and Donna, experienced a tragic event there that illustrates both the situation for Christians and biblical values to which we all should aspire. Ron, who was raised on the mission field, and Donna have served faithfully in Africa for more than 35 years. Enduring astonishing adversity, including Ron's being taken hostage early in his work, they have helped plant more than 80 churches in previously unreached areas, and they work for more than a decade to establish and manage a missions aviation base in Central Car. In, in what Ron described as a haven of security within a dangerous and tumultuous region. But on Good Friday 2017, the relative peace of their mission station was shattered in a violent attack by Salika rebels who since 2012 have waged a brutal, brutally violent campaign to overthrow the government. We were warned of the possibility of an impending attack, Ron said, and then within three minutes we heard gunfire in our town. All Christians in the area were either killed or driven into the forest and forced to live off the land while the rebels made way for Muslims to occupy the town. Eventually, when we returned to the town, Ron continued, we saw the entire mission station, including the house we built for our family, and the aircraft hangars and maintenance facility that we built by hand were all destroyed. Ron's response to the loss was powerful, biblical, and instructive. Emotional and on the verge of tears, he told me, it was a deep, deep hurt for me to realize that what took generations of mission effort to build was all destroyed. We lost the whole thing, but not the privilege of being able to put on the altar, put it on the altar for Christ. I would not change the cost of what I have done for God, he continued. It is so valuable. Everything I can give is worth it. When I stand before the Lord, I will say thank you for allowing me to spend my life on things that count for your eternal kingdom. And thank you for allowing me to share in the sufferings of Christ. 
we think something is worth it when the outcome or product gained is of more value to us than the effort or price we paid. We trade our lives for what we deem valuable, and in exceptional cases, we may even consider it an honor or privilege to have had the chance to pay that price. Today, strong Christians, indigenous leaders, and missionaries alike serve the Lord faithfully in the car while trapped between warring factions that have devastated their nation. In response to the violence against our Christian brothers and sisters, Voice of the Martyr has been serving, continues to serve alongside indigenous leaders and missionaries to provide them with food, clothing, and shelter, and to ensure a continued strong gospel witness amid the savagery. I pray that we, like Ron and Donna and faithful Christian leaders in the car, will place our highest value on Christ and his eternal objectives that we will pass on an understanding of his great worth to our children and grandchildren. Obedience to Christ in fulfillment of the Great Commission is worth any cost, and it is an honor to pay the price that obedience requires. So this is a picture of one of the burned-out churches in the village. Uh, they just, you know, tear things up, uh, see if they can send somebody else over. This one says, they shot, we ran. The gun started firing, we started running into the bush right away in the night, running as fast as we could. It says in her village, 33,000 Christians have been displaced. So that's just a hut that they're living in because their real home was destroyed. Uh, this is a, uh, for the martyr sending aid, giving aid to them, uh, that have been di- displaced. Amen. Glory to God. Such smiling faces, you know. People have had everything taken away from them, don't have much left, and they still manage to smile. Amen. And these are ministers passing out Bibles and, you know, preaching the gospel still. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And these are some ladies worshiping. Yeah. So I'm going to pass this around and you guys can take your time and look at it if you want. Amen. Okay, so that was the month of July. The month of June, uh, we're talking about North Korea is in the the um, news here. And uh, <coughs> talks about Kim Jong-un who is worshiped by millions. So when there's a communist in charge, you know, you can't worship God anymore. You worship that person. Well, you worship whomever they tell you to worship. And so he's considered deity there. Says, how can North Korea's leader maintain unity and loyalty despite the oppression and widespread poverty of his country's citizens? Any attempt at answering this question requires an understanding of Juche, the belief system developed by Kim Jong-un's grandfather, Kim Il-sung. For more than 70 years, nearly every aspect of daily life in North Korea has been controlled by Juche, which is often mischaracterized as a philosophy or ideology. These terms fail to include the central tenet of Juche. North Koreans are forced to worship their deceased leader, Kim Il-sung, and his family. 
Few Americans have understood the significance of the open mockery and insults directed at Kim Jong-un in recent years by some of our government leaders, talk show hosts, and other prominent figures. From the North Koreans' perspective, this was less like insulting their country's leader and more like blaspheming their god. Muhammad plagiarized portions of the Bible in error to create the Koran and Islam. Joseph Smith added his own book to the Bible to create Mormonism. But Kim Il-sung did something entirely different with the Bible and practices of Christian worship that prevailed in Korea before his rule. He imprisoned the Christians in concentration camps, purged the nation of Bibles, dismantled every practice of Christian worship, replacing it with a system designed to imitate Christianity in nearly every aspect. Worship within Juche feels like church. It includes regular services, the confession of sins, and hymn singing. The important distinction is that the object of worship in Juche is a new holy trinity in which Kim uh, Il-sung cast himself, his wife, and his son as divine persons. Astonishingly, Juche has succeeded at propping up in an oppressive regime otherwise found on communist principles. While the other communist nations, for example, Russia, China, and Cuba, were founded as atheistic, North Korea maintains a system that combines communism and emperor worship, the practices stolen with practices stolen from Christianity. Since 1948, all North Koreans have been forced to ascribe to and promote the belief that the ruling family has sacred blood in its veins and is worthy of worship. The ruling Kim is purported to be the benevolent father of the North Korean people, richly providing for their needs. The reality is that the Kim family are self-serving, cruel, false gods who sit atop a failed state that they control by intentionally keeping more than 90% of the populace misinformed, cut off from the rest of the world, and at the brink of starvation. North Korea's Juche system is designed to simultaneously mimic and destroy Christianity and its leaders vehemently oppose the gospel for good reason. To retain power, they must deny their country's citizens any knowledge of the living God. We Christians, however, must be committed to helping set North Koreans free by bringing them the gospel at any cost. The truth of the gospel, rather than the weaponry of the West, nuclear otherwise, has always been and remains the greatest threat to the Kim family. We continue working tirelessly to tear down the Kim family's altar with the truth of God's word, which we distribute through cross-border balloon launches, gospel radio broadcasts, and many other covert methods. And we continue to pray that Kim Jong-un will repent and accept the gracious forgiveness of the one true God. Amen? Yeah, amen. That was very informative. I wasn't aware of uh, any of that, to be honest with you. I knew they looked up to the Kim family, but I just thought it was, you know, communism. They have to, so. Okay. This one is a dangerous secret. Once fearful of even seeing a Bible, a former North Korean border guard now embraces it. Nearly every day for 11 years, Park Chin-mei dutifully monitored North Korea's border with China. 
From 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., he watched the North Koreans attempting to defect or smuggle contraband into the country. Chin Mei took pride in his work as a border guard, even though he was guilty of the same illegal activities for which he arrested others. Like many North Koreans, he relied on illegal smuggling simply to survive. When another guard reported Chen Mei's smuggling ring, he spent 60 torturous days in prison. And he hadn't even smuggled the most dangerous item into the country, a Bible. Those who let Bibles into North Korea had a more severe punishment than someone who kills people, Chen Mei said. For Chen Mei, getting caught smuggling meant being reduced from a respected soldier to a worthless prisoner. For the first 10 days, he was forced to stand in a a bowing position and was allowed to move only to use the restroom. If he moved, even during the night, he was beaten mercilessly with a wooden baton. For the next 50 days, he was forced to remain in a position of his choosing, but he said even sitting for 24 hours straight became very uncomfortable. Sometimes as time went on, it was more uncomfortable to be beaten or more comfortable to be beaten. Despite the punishment he suffered, Chin Mei returned to smuggling as soon as he returned to work. Financially, he had no other choice. One day, Chin Mei agreed to help a woman from his village smuggle a shipment of DVD players into North Korea, knowing he could make money in the deal. When the woman arrived at his post with 30 boxes, Chin Mei opened a random box to give the appearance of inspecting the shipment. But the box he opened happened to also contain six Bibles. Suddenly his heart filled with fear. Although he had never seen a Bible before, he had been taught that they were subversive to Juche, the North Korean religion that requires worship and subservience to the Kim family. He was torn about what to do, but he finally decided to let the Bibles pass. We didn't see anything today, he told his friend. You and I keep the secret until we die. North Korean border guards must follow a strict protocol when they seize one or more Bibles. They are forbidden from opening a Bible and must report them to their superiors before enduring 10 days of interrogation. Chin Mei knew guards who had been through the process and he also knew that he could be killed if another guard had seen the Bibles and reported him for allowing their entry. They know that the Bible is the enemy, he said, of North Korea's border guards. It is something they choose to avoid at all times. I wouldn't even dare open it because of Juchi ideology. After Chen Mei finished his mandatory military service, he decided to flee the country. A friend who had fled to South Korea years earlier had occasionally told him about life there, and Chen Mei decided to experience it for himself. One evening in late September 2017, Chen Mei, then in his early 30s, set out to cross the border he has sworn to protect. With years of experience as a border guard, he knew how to cross without detection. I was not afraid of being caught by the Chinese police, he said. Chen Mei had arranged for his sister in China to pick him up at a certain spot on the other side of the Yalu River. So once across, he went to her house where he stayed for a few months. He then spent time in southern China and Laos before settling in South Korea, where all North Korean defectors are able to obtain citizenship. After arriving in South Korea in November 2017, Chin Mei underwent the standard three-month entry interrogation at the Natural Intelligence Service to ensure he wasn't a spy. 
He also entered counseling, and the man who counseled his group of defectors was a Christian. When the man asked Chen Mei if he had ever heard of God, he replied, I believe there is no God. Later, however, he began to consider what the counselor had told him about God. He was then given eight books on Christian apologetics, which explained various cases for the existence of God and the historical validity of Scripture. He soon became interested in the Christian faith. After his release from the NIS, he entered a settlement center for defectors, where he spent another three months learning about life in South Korea. North Koreans at the settlement center are encouraged to choose a religion to help them navigate their new life, so Chin Mei decided to attend a church service to learn more about Christianity. He volunteered at the church to help set Bibles out before the worship service. As he placed Bibles on the empty chairs, Chin Mei realized he was holding the very book that he would have that would have gotten him killed in North Korea. I was so joyful, he said. I rejoiced at being able to set out Bibles. During his three months at the settlement center, he never missed a daily prayer service. His love for the church and the scriptures continued to grow. He even eventually rejected the Juche religion and put his faith in Jesus. I knew the only way I could survive in South Korea was to stick to God, he said. Just grab him wherever he goes. I kept that in my mind whenever I read the Bible. I didn't just read it like any other book. I read it and I took every word of the Bible into my heart. Chin Mei also saw God answer prayer answer his prayer for an older brother who had killed had a call from North Korea asking for financial help after telling his brother that he had no money to help him with his business he began to pray daily that God would provide for his brother's needs after 10 days of prayer he learned that a friend had lent his brother the amount he needed I prayed and God answered my prayer he said I began to know how God works God hears my prayers Chen Mei also met a Voice of the Martyr worker at the settlement center, and he is now receiving help from Voice of the Martyr as he starts his new life in South Korea. He asked people to pray for North Korea and pray for him as he adjusts to a new country and new way of life. Many North Koreans battle depression as they adapt to a completely new way of thinking and interacting with others. As he faces these new challenges, Chin Mei has hope, something he never had in North Korea, and he finds his hope in Christ, the central subject of a once-feared book that has led him to a new life. Amen. Amen. This one is watching the church go underground. After turning away from Christ in the early days of Kim Il-sung's communist regime, a North Korean woman was led back to faith by a single Bible verse. Ri Soon-ja has vivid memories of her father reading the Bible to her and her six siblings when they were children. She remembers that, that the verses were printed vertically rather than horizontally. And although now 82 years old, she can still picture the phrase, Christ is the Lord of this house, hanging from a wall in their home. My parents prayed that God would use me as his servant, she said, recalling another childhood memory. I grew up dreaming of becoming an evangelist. Those were the days before Korea split into North and South, communist and free. Those were the days when the Christian faith flourished in North Korea. There were many Christians, she shared from her living room in South Korea. I attended the Methodist church. 
All the congregations gathered every Sunday. When Soon Ja was a young girl, her family was among the first to experience persecution under the rule, rule of Kim Il-sung, North Korea's first leader. Today, Christianity is illegal there, and those who choose to follow Jesus are sent to a concentration camp where they are starved, tortured, and often killed. Soon Ja has experienced a lifetime of pain, but when she looks back on her life, she sees God's hand in it all. Soon Ja was born in 1937, the fifth of children. Her father, a mine worker, was known for his Christian faith, well enough that many people, including his relatives, criticized him for it. They thought he was too bold in sharing the gospel, but having read the scriptures, he knew persecution was simply part of following Jesus. He taught us that the more we are persecuted, the more we need to trust the Lord. At the end of World War II, when Korea was freed from Japanese colonialism and divided into two countries, the brutal Communist Party in the North forced most pastors to flee to the South. Kim Il-sung became North Korea's first premier in 1948, the year North Korea and South Korea gained formal independence as sovereign nations. As the communists became more powerful, even my father became uneasy, she said. He asked three of my brothers to move to South Korea to earn a living, but my father did not leave North Korea. When our pastor left, our father took his place and kept the church. The communists began to occupy church buildings in North Korea, gradually became, and and North Korea gradually became an atheistic state. Many of the church buildings were destroyed. We had to begin worshiping in our own houses, Soonja said. Around that time, Soonja had to complete an entrance exam and interview to enroll in junior high school. But when administrators saw that she stated her religion as Christian, they denied her application, and her father had to find another school for her to attend. These subtle forms of persecution quickly became the norm, and life became increasingly difficult for Sunja's family. The government was already promoting the idea that religion is a drug used to control people and was mandating that all North Koreans follow the official state religion, Juche, venerating Kim Il-sung. My father used to say, no matter how much persecution there may be, we must persevere. We have to endure persecution even when we don't have anything to eat. Sunja's family uh, family took time to worship God in their house, regardless of the obstacles presented by the atheistic communist government. They were aware, however, that they could be killed if they were ever caught. In the mid-60s, Sunja's brother hosted a prayer gathering at his house. Recognizing that many people were worshiping Kim Il-sung as a false idol, he burned the portrait of the North Korean leader following their time of prayer. One person at the prayer meeting reported the act to authorities, and Sunja's brother was quickly arrested, sentenced to 20 years in prison. In addition, Sunja's family was separated and forced to leave Pyongyang Pyongyang, where her parents had required to work, were required to work in mines for several months. <clears throat> Soon Ja was 28 at the time and had been married for three years. She and her husband, whose relatives were high-ranking communist officials, had two young sons. Since Christians were considered enemies of the state, the government ordered her husband to divorce her, giving him sole custody of their three-year-old and eight-month-old sons. 
My husband asked me to go out from the house, she said tearfully. Our three-year-old boy was holding my leg and asked me not to go anywhere. At that moment, my husband kicked me out and he started beating the boys. They kept asking, when are you coming back? To comfort them, I told them I will come back after a few days. That was the last time I saw them. After losing her husband, children, and home because of her Christian faith, soon Jah lost all hope and began to waver in her faith. I remember standing on the riverside thinking of committing suicide, but the words of my father kept me from doing it. He has said that our lives are not our own, but God's. I couldn't die. After her parents were released from their work in the mine, Sunja moved in with them. Her mother was then able to visit her brother in prison, but what she saw was disheartening. On the first visit, it was clear to her that he was malnourished and had been severely beaten. On the second visit, guards told her that he wasn't available, and later the family learned that he had died. We think my brother was killed as an example for other Christians because the government hates religion. The moment I learned, the moment I learned that my brother died in prison, I felt there was no God. I lost my hope and vision as an evangelist. In the early 70s, Soon Ja's father told her about a North Korean widower who might make her good, a good husband for her. The man, who also had Chinese citizenship, had eight children. And Soon Ja's father brought, uh, taught, thought Soon Ja would be a good mother for them. He worried that without a husband, she would have no future. Soon Ja's mother opposed the idea because the man was not a Christian, but that was not an obstacle for Soon Ja, whose faith had long faded. Although she initially refused to consider it, she eventually decided to marry the man. <clears throat> It wasn't easy to raise another woman's children when you have to leave behind your own, she said. However, my heart grew toward the children. Eventually, Sunja and her second husband had two more children, giving Sunja ten children to raise. While her husband and children all had Chinese citizenship, she was never able to obtain it despite her husband's hard work to get them out of North Korea. In late 1994, she obtained a three-month visa, allowing to join her family on a trip to visit her husband's relatives in China. While walking around in a Chinese city with her family one day, she heard somebody reciting John 3.16, a verse she remembered reading in her youth. When she turned around to see who it was, no one was there. She asked her husband if he had heard anything, but he had not. I stopped praying after I lost my brother, she said. I stopped worshiping. I never thought about God. But in that moment, I was stunned by the words of my head. In that moment, I said, I have to go to church. Soon, Jasun began an intense Bible study with the pastor she met in China, but her husband never joined them. As they studied God's word, the pastor encouraged Sunja to flee North Korea with her family and live in China. They even set a date for her to flee. As soon Jia's visa expired, she left her family in China and returned to North Korea. But as the date approached for her to flee, she could not buster the courage to make the dangerous journey on her own. She did, however, remain in contact with the pastor who had encouraged her to leave North Korea. Two years later, at age 60, Soon Jia decided she was ready to escape. On a hot summer evening in July 1997, she told some neighbors that she was going to bathe in the Yalu River, which serves as part of the border separating North Korea from China. I didn't feel afraid, she said. I already had lots of experience in suffering. It was nothing to me. 
As she waded into the Yalu River, Sunja sensed that the secret police were watching her. Her heart raced as she quietly trudged through the cold water, which gradually rose to the level of her chest. After climbing out of the river on the Chinese side, apparently unnoticed by North Korean border guards, she met a pastor. The pastor reunited with her family. At the pastor's suggestion, the family soon moved to a small Chinese town where they lived for three years. During that time, Sun Jia continued to grow in faith. Her husband, who never became a follower of Jesus, was finally able to buy her Chinese citizenship for $1,000. Sun Jia's two youngest children, then in their 20s, decided to move to South Korea, and in 2001, she and her husband moved there to be near them. Her husband, however, was allowed to stay for only three years before returning to China, where he died in 2011 from an illness. I had to start working as a housemaid immediately to survive. Fortunately, I met a good homeowner who was a deacon at the church. Today, Soon Ja continues to live in South Korea with her son and granddaughter. She has graduated from the Voice of the Martyr-sponsored discipleship program and participated in mission trips, including one to China. During the trips, she meets with other North Korean women and tells them how she recommitted her life to Jesus. I cried a lot when I met North Korean women in China who were sex trafficked, she said. I shared my testimony. They were in their 30s and 40s. For them, I was like a mother. I just hugged them, and they were just holding my hand and starting to cry. I really felt pain when I saw them. Sunja is not sure uh, she would try to visit her two oldest sons if the border with North Korea opened during her lifetime. She thinks it would be too painful. She continues to pray for their souls, but she knows they are living a comfortable life in North Korea because of her first husband's social class. I have a heart of mother's love toward them, but I don't worry about them, she said. Looking back on her life, she said her biggest regret is that she didn't listen to her father's wishes when she was younger. If I can meet my parents in heaven, I want to say sorry to my father because I did not live as a good Christian when I was in North Korea. My father kept asking me to be an evangelist, but I didn't follow this. Her regrets are slowly fading, though, in light of an ever-growing faith that her father once prayed she would have. God is using me and my vision, and now I'm living as an evangelist. I think maybe my parents' prayer is being answered. Amen? It's 82 years old. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay. This one says, a patient evangelist. And then I think we'll pray. Yeah, the rest of it is prayer requests. Uh, Lee Jun Ki scanned the Chinese coffee shop carefully for the right place to sit. The shop's owner, a fellow Christian, had told him about a middle-aged laborer from North Korea who was in the shop, and Jun Ki wanted to sit in just the right spot to start a conversation with him. After sitting down at a table near the man, Jun Ki began a casual conversation with him, even managing to draw the coffee shop owner into this discussion. These conversations, which can quickly turn dangerous for everyone involved, are what he lives for. Jun Ki is a frontline worker who shares the gospel with North Koreans inside China, near the border with North Korea. 
Encountering these North Korean people, building relationships and leading them to Christ is God's work. It's full of God's grace, he said. Just meeting with him for an hour is so precious. It is not something we can do normally. Each time could be the last time. Jun Ki, an ordained pastor, has served as a frontline worker for six years, sacrificing time with his family to share the gospel of North Koreans. He risks his life for the gospel, participating in everything from Bible balloon launches to distributing God's word near the border. While his primary goal is to further God's kingdom, Jun Ki also has a very personal reason for reaching out to North Koreans. His father, a pastor, left North Korea in 1954 at the age of about 20 after facing intense persecution from the country's relatively new communist regime. I have heard so many things about North Korea from my dad that have shaped my way of thinking, he said. Uh, his father died not long ago. North Korea is not my enemy or something foreign to me. It is more like my stories, my nation, my dad's nation, my family story. My father really influenced me to become a missionary to the North Korean people. Tens of thousands of poor North Koreans are forced by their government to work in China and other countries each year and send their wages back to North Korea. They are allowed to keep only a small percentage of their earnings. Jun Ki often tries to share the gospel with North Korean leaders who oversee units of 10 to 15 workers. He seeks these leaders because of their influence and because they generally don't have to report to a superior in China. Still, he meets with them privately so the laborers do not report them. They are so cautious and alert about people possibly reporting them to the authorities so the gospel isn't shared in one single meeting, he said. Showing the North Koreans love is Jun Ki's approach to sharing the gospel. As I build a relationship with them, sometimes people can become sick or they need financial aid and they ask me to provide something, he said. When they receive my help, the relationship deepens. Then the North Korean people began to realize that the people who are called Christians are somehow different. This is how the conversation goes on and on. The man he spoke with in the coffee shop, a North Korean government official and former military leader, was in China to supervise 15 North Korean women working at a restaurant. As a unit's leader, he monitored each of his workers to ensure they didn't betray their country's official religion, Juche. Those who sway from the ideology of self-reliance and often face harsh punishment. Jun Ki's biggest opportunity to show him love was then the man was when the man became ill and needed medicine. Jun Ki purchased the medication he needed and made sure he received it. Then one day in October 20, 2017, he went a step further and sent the man a Bible. When the man opened the package in front of ten of his workers, he acted angry about receiving it, but the anger wasn't entirely genuine. He knew he had to act angry so no one would report him for having a Bible. In the end, though, he was a little upset by the package. He was little, yeah, he was a little upset by the package. I put him in a dangerous situation, so basically the relationship was a little unstable for a moment, Junki said. After a while, I came to him again and apologized that I unintentionally put him in a dangerous situation. He accepted my apology. The relationship was restored. Simple apologize and we're friends again that's what god wants amen 
Later that month, the North Korean man invited Jun Ki to his home, a big step in their friendship. The man had been suffering from liver problems for some time, so Jin Ki brought him some more medicine. As he entered the home, he was greeted by pictures of North Korea's three successive communist dictators, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and Kim Jong-un. Several books on Jute were stacked on the table, and files of the women in his unit were strewn around the room. Jun Ki knew their meeting went against everything taught in the books stacked on the table. North Koreans are prohibited from meeting foreigners, even Han Chinese in China. He said it doesn't matter who they are. So if he opens his house and brings a foreigner over, that is really dangerous. He put his life on the line. Jun Ki continued to visit the man at his home, praying with him, discussing the scriptures. Eventually, the man started reading the Bible, listening to sermons on his own. Finally, after months of talks, the man who had once pledged loyalty to the North Korean government confessed his need for Christ's atoning work on the cross. His declaration to follow Jesus didn't come lightly. He knows they will likely be killed if anyone in North Korea suspects he is a Christian. And in a country where stealing is almost a necessity for survival, he knows he must stop stealing in order to obey God's word. That alone would be seen as suspect. He has to live the life of a Christian. That's truly against the North Korean way of life, Jun Ki said. In December 2018, at the end of his three-year assignment in China, the man returned to to Pyongyang. Although he has reunited with his family, he's not the same man. He now willingly bears a cross, which comes with heavy consequences should he be discovered a Christian. Junki prays for a way to meet his friend in Pyongyang, and if the door ever opens, he will be there. For now, he smuggles letters to North Koreans <laughs> to encourage him, knowing they, their fellowship isn't over because they're now brothers in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> it's wonderful. If you can touch one life, you know, I mean, that person is precious to God, and I think God shows that to us all the time. So, <clears throat> so we do have some prayer requests here. Uh, this one is a pray for North Korea. Pray that Bibles will be able to enter North Korea undetected by authorities. Praise God for the Christians in North Korea. Ask the Lord to encourage and strengthen them through his word and the Holy Spirit and to give them creative ways of meeting in secret. Pray that frontline workers will be led to North Koreans whose hearts are ready to receive the seed of the word of God, uh, that those new believers will grow to full maturity in Christ. Pray that North Korean workers laboring in other countries will take the gospel back to their country, resulting in a great harvest for the kingdom. And I really think we need to pray for their leader, um, that he would um, just uh, change his heart and not persecute the Christians anymore because he has the power to do that. And, and I know that the relationship or friendship between our leader and, and their leader is going to mean something, you know, more than just, you know, material blessings for them, for that country. But I know spiritual relief will come to the believers in that country if the heart of their leader will change. Amen. And so uh, God can do that. He can do the impossible. He'll do anything but fail. So we'll pray for Kim uh, John. What's Kim Jong-un? The one that's, yeah, un. So, yeah, uh, President Kim. 
uh, in Sri Lanka, Christians falsely accused for a home Bible study. We need to pray for them. Colombia, violence is on the rise, it says here, between the guerrillas and the government. Uh, and they're increasing in violence. Many of the guerrillas are returning to violence in spite of a treaty with the government. Uh, in Kenya, um, there's it's danger, and, and there's a pastor there who is serving faithfully, even though there's great danger where he is in Kenya. And uh, let me see. Um, oh, there's an update. Where are they now? Cecilia. Let me see, where is she from? Cecilia's husband abandoned her when she recommitted her life to Christ. By the time Voice of the Martyr worker in Uganda met Cecilia and her seven children, they were slowly starving. That was in September's 2018 newsletter. After a year of support from, from Voice of the Martyr, she and her children are doing well. Her 17-year-old son attends vocational school to learn metal fabrication. Her younger children are also back in school, some of them catching up on years of material after missing school for lack of finances. A Voice of the Martyr worker reported that all eight family members look healthier now and they are receiving adequate nutrition. While Uganda is a majority Christian country, Muslims have a strong presence in the north where she lives. But Cecilia's success as a Christian has shown her Muslim neighbors that the Lord takes care of his followers. And her her pastor said her testimony has encouraged many people to remain faithful to God. She says life is much better these days as there is very little to struggle with. Sleep is much longer and more peaceful than it used to be. She credits her current state of joy to the Lord who never abandoned her. Though her life has been difficult, Cecilia believes that without the Lord it would have been much harder. The challenges cannot go away, but we thank God every day that he gives us. Thank you so much for always praying for us and constantly visiting us. So, amen. So she's thankful. Amen. Today's prayer nation is Iran. Uh, we're going to pray for increased boldness and encourage among believers, encourage among uh, persecuted Iranian believers. No, that was yesterday. It's Laos today. Pray that religious freedom laws will be honored. Amen. In Laos. So we'll pray for them. <clears throat> okay. So why don't we get started? These other ones are short, and I'll just speak those out. As we pray, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne and worship you. Lord, we thank you for everything that you're doing for your persecuted believers. Thank you, Lord, for ending persecution of conservative and Christian people in this nation. Satan, we bind you and we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness of God that leads men to repentance and Lord, we need you to move on the hearts of men to turn away from their wicked ways and serve you. We ask that you forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, that your blood cleanses us from every foul influence, every evil influence, every impure influence. So we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit influence on our prayers. Thank you, Lord, you have heard our requests for the nation of Laos. We thank you, Lord, for North Korea, for the changes we want to see in the government and in their leader, uh, Leader Kim. We thank you, Lord, that he will come under conviction and know that he is not a God at all and that he would repent of thinking that he is a God. 
we thank you, Lord, that he will uh, submit to to uh, not persecuting believers more, to quit torturing people, Father, to quit his evil ways, Lord. He will turn from them so that he can see favor in your eyes. So we thank you, Lord, for showing this man the way. Jesus is the way. I thank you, Lord, that uh, Christians around him will witness to him. I thank you, Lord, that they will speak up on your behalf. I thank you, Lord, that our president will share his faith with him and give him assurance that you accept everybody. So I thank you for that, Lord. I bless you and I praise you. Thank you, Lord, to put the right words in our president's mouth so that he can share Christ with this man. We thank you for that. And, Lord, we thank you that we submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. Satan, we command you to flee from us seven ways. Vengeance belongs to you, O God. I resist retaliation against my accusers. We are serving you, and why did the heathen rage? People imagine a vain thing. You who sit in the heavens are laughing. Behold, they're threatening, Lord, and stretch forth your hand to heal, O God. Do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. I declare the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let them fall by their own counsels. Lord, you will judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my integrity that is in me, and let the mischief of those who persecute me return upon his own head. Keep me as the apple of the eye and hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Thank you for teaching my hands to war, that the bow of steel is broken in my arms. Thank you that you have given me the necks of my enemies. Shut the mouths of the lions that roar their lies against me. Cause the tongue of the wicked persecutors to cleave to the roof of the mouth. Stop the pointing of the finger against your servant. Stop those who point the finger against me without a cause and who hate me. It's time for you to work, O Lord. They have made void your law. Lord, we know that it's nothing for you to help. Help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to thy mercy. Let my hands prosper and prevail against my enemies. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. They will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. And Father, we thank you that those who are against us will perish by their own counsels. We thank you, Lord, that their own thoughts will drive them in their own direction, Lord, that they will receive what they are trying to give to others, Lord, because we resist that devil and he must flee from us. So we thank you, Lord, for total victory, total success, that we will be totally vindicated in everything that we set our hands to. So I thank you, Lord, for helping us in every single way. In Jesus' name, we pray for Laos, and we thank you, Lord, for the people who are sharing the gospel in their radio ministry. Father, in Israel, we thank you, Lord, that um, uh, the Messianic Christian churches there will continue to prosper and flourish, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you in China uh, that the wife of the early rain pastor has been freed after six months in jail. In Indonesia, the believers who are arrested for sharing gospel tracts, Father, that you would set them free. Father, in India, uh, the evangelist who is recovering from a beating, thank you, Lord, to let him cover fully in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Niger, the Muslims attacked two churches in their third largest city, and I thank you, Lord, to restore these people in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in Vietnam, many people in the rural areas 
are embracing Christ in recent decades. And we thank you, Lord. There are more educated people turning to Christ in that nation in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that in Niger, the Christian refugees who are facing persecution from Boko Haram will be set free in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that in Cuba, uh, the government revokes permission for a new church to be built. I say this church will be built. They will not stop the gospel in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, in the Middle East, that family relationships are being restored and transformed in new believers. I thank you, Lord, in Iran, that you are softening hearts, that the uh, voice of the martyr is getting results, uh, reports that many people are giving their lives to Christ uh, in Iran, and we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, uh, that uh, the, uh, the Christians are uh, that are being persecuted, that you would put angels in these areas, Father, in these regions where they are receiving much persecution. We thank you for that. In Vietnam, uh, <clears throat> the Hmong ethnic people are receiving more and more um, growth in numbers and growth in their relationship with Christ. In the Middle East, Father, I thank you for a Christian convert who has found a new family in Christ in China. I thank you, Lord, um, that these people who are trying to turn, turn the church into a hotel will not be successful in the name of Jesus. In Bangladesh, I thank you, Lord, uh, that people will come in, out of these refugee camps, Father, and, and that um, they will begin to turn their life over to Christ in record numbers in Jesus' name. In the Middle East, Father, we thank you to energize and encourage the tired and fearful believers in Uganda, Father, that the widow uh, that had been supporting her grandchildren, Father, is doing well. And we thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing for her. In Nigeria, Father, this uh, evangelist who was severely beaten, Father, let him be healed in Jesus' name. In China, uh, Father, this house church that has been shut down, I say it will increase, that more churches will spring from this one in the name of Jesus. In Syria, uh, thank you, Lord. Uh, many of the Muslims are coming to Christ because of the violence there. And in Burkina Faso, Father, uh, these executed church members, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you will raise up more people to respond to the gospel. They will not stop it in Jesus' name. In the Gaza Strip, I thank you, Lord, that the Muslims are coming to Christ. I thank you, Father, that in Central Asia, uh, this uh, teacher who has uh, been sentenced to years in prison uh, because he put his faith in Christ, Lord, opened the door for him to reach more people. Uh, Father, I thank you for the couple in Niger who is led to Christ through an audio Bible. I thank you, Father, for um, Turkey where uh, the Easter service overflowed with worshipers seeking Christ. And in Minamar, <coughs> where the Christian people are still uh, in prison, that they would be set free. And we thank you for that, Lord, and we bless you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, I am so grateful that God is um, opening our eyes to even the subtle signs of religious persecution. 
and that we know that we are being persecuted in this nation. Um, the politically correct speech now has uh, turned into uh, Christians being silenced on social media. Uh, many of the <coughs> conservative and Christian uh, accounts are being shut down because of they consider uh, anything preaching the gospel is hate speech. And so uh, what it's, it's amounted to is as long as we keep singing and keep jumping around and dancing and not taking authority over this, nothing wrong with worshiping God, we're going to do it. But if that's all we ever do and we just sing songs, we'll be just like the Christians in Nazi Germany when they kept turning up the volume on the, on the singing of the songs while the uh, ambulances came and took one group of people after the other after the other. Got me? When, when people control the airwaves like our media does and they all are of one mind, then you've got to wake up and understand that these people have power and they have influence and they need to be stopped, period. Amen. So that's our job. So don't ever take it lightly. Always take it seriously. Don't shrug it off as uh, it's not important and it won't happen here. It's already here, folks. It's already here. And so when you see people uh, telling you to shut up and you can't say this and you can't say that and want to take your guns because, you know, oh, you know, we got to get rid of gun violence. Well, that's not going to do it, but they'll take them anyway. See, if they can take them, they will take them. And so the more of our freedoms that get taken away, the more imprisoned we are, you know, even even though we know Christ, you want your freedom. And you want, because he died to set us free. Amen. You don't want to continue to give up freedom to people who are oppressive and people who don't respect humanity. And so we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to fight. We're going to continue until all of his enemies are made his footstool. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So always be thankful that God has opened your eyes. Oh, you don't need to go around and try to get everybody to know what's going on, but you need, you need to continue to stand against it, pray against it. Amen. Uh, make sure you don't side with, with, uh, people who are trying to oppress you. You know, little issues. Well, that's not my issue. This ain't my issue. That's, it's all your issue. Amen. Jesus is your issue. And if he says, if they're not for us, they are against us. And so if they're not for you as a believer, they are against you. So, okay. So, uh, Miss Juan, if you want to put some uh, music on, I'll pray for some people. And then we can be peace over your people in the name of Jesus. That there would be increase everywhere, spirit, soul, mind, and body. That there would be increase in them. Noticeable increase in the name of Jesus. Noticeable increase. Increase in their health. Increase in their wealth. Increase in their peace. Their shalom. The wholeness and the soundness. Let it increase, Father, in the name of Jesus. Let their faith increase, Lord. Let there be multiple and multiplied blessings right there to pluck out, right there at their hand, Father.
that they wouldn't have to go far just to stretch out their hand and receive it. And Father, it would be a blessing to them. We thank you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you, Lord, for rapid growth in people. Rapid growth in your bride. Thank you, Lord, just as as young girls who are turning into teenagers seem to mature overnight. Let that happen in your bride, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let there be rapid maturity among us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for increase. Thank you, Lord, for growth, rapid growth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your fire. many of you sense a warmth? Oh yeah, that's God's burning out the old and making room for the new. When you ask for increase, something has to leave and something come in. So Father, we thank you for your holy fire. Burn away that which is not of you. Make room inside of us for increase, Father. Make room for the holy deposit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> and the Lord's <clears throat> tell me to tell uh, some of you think that what you need is more money before you can. There are certain things you want to have or possess, accomplish. And the Lord is telling, tell me to tell you that you've received it now. And what you need is not money, it's increase. The way you, you express increase in your head is, is finances. And he said, it's not finances that you need, it's just increase. So he said, increase has been delivered to you now. And he says, it will cause doors to open that you thought you needed money to open. It will cause things to happen in your life that you thought you couldn't afford financially. He says, just ask me for what you want. Don't put a money, a dollar value on it. But ask me for what you want and I'll deliver it to you. But today I'm blessing you with increase which you will be able to see in many areas of your life, not just financial, but it'll be many areas of your life, says the Spirit of the Lord. Father, we thank you for increase. We thank you, Lord. You always know what we need. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Forgive us for not being able to speak your language well enough to articulate the desires of our hearts, Lord. But we thank you that you know what we need and you supply it even before we ask. So we thank you, Lord, for supplying every need that we have in Jesus' name. And we pray for the people who are watching online. 
We said, receive your increase in the name of Jesus. Just stretch forth your hands toward the screen or toward heaven. Receive the increase. Receive the fire of God to burn away what he cannot use and to impart what he can use. So we thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that there are those who have been wanting more power from you. And they weren't sure how they were going to get it. And I thank you, Lord, that you're granting it to them now. Thank you, Lord. That those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the anointing, and for power will be filled. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. So.